I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. We are going back to the hive for season five of The, the Connor, Connor and Smith Show. All right. This evening we are talking to Edry Means Weekly, um, Shenandoah alum and beloved vocal uh, teacher, uh, coach, uh, actress, castmate, director, friend, everything. Um, we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hello. Hi, Edry. How are you? I'm fine. How are you doing? I am sitting here with my husband and co-host, Matt Connor. Hey, 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 hey. Matt! How's it going? Oh, my goodness. It's so good to hear your voice. My little old raspy voice from screaming at people. Oh, it doesn't sound raspy. It sounds nice and healthy. Oh, good, good, good. And also our producer, Ryan Dean Halbrook. Hello. Oh, hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm well. You sound great. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm excited to be here. And my goodness, I wasn't expecting you. <laughs> yes, he is. He keeps everything together for us. Um, he is our, our producer extraordinaire. Um, well, so you have to have one of those. Where, where are you right now? Where are, you, where are we reaching you? I'm in Fairfax in my home studio. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen Johnny? Have I seen who? Johnny Depp. Oh, my goodness. Is that near you? I have not seen him, but I have to tell you that um, the judge is actually a judge that uh, dealt with some things with my son. So it's very interesting to see her uh, in this case. Wow, that's crazy. Exactly. I know there are a lot of people that are wanting to, you know, go to the courthouse and um, stand in a long line to get into that courtroom. That's for sure. Well, I know that you tonight, Stephen, I know you're trying to jump in here. I, I know that. But um, I know that we, we've, you've got a lot to talk about. Oh, I mean, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, so I'm not we're going to try not to be uh, too much in your way about what we want to discuss. But from the list of things that you just write that explains the style of singing that your voice can capture is its own discussion. <laughs> yes. Uh, because you can basically sing any style that you need at any given moment. Uh, yes, I can. Uh, for most styles, I, I don't sing rock um, and I certainly don't rap, but for the... I would say for the primary styles that you find um, in musical theater, like jazz, um, country, uh, pop, and, um, you know, belt and legit and all that, um, I'm able to, you know, transfer on the spot, yeah. You've been called the rock star of vocal crossover by the cultural feed. Um, that's a great laurel to kind of put at the top of your website. Yes, it is. <laughs> and that's, that's because of all the, the different styles that you can kind of sing in and teach, correct? I guess so. Yeah. I was surprised when I, um, when I saw that, uh, it was in a review and I can't remember when that was, but somebody had pointed it out to me. Um, yeah. So 
I'm sure that that's what it's <laughs> referring to. And also, I did crossover um, in, in the opera houses when they brought musical theater into the opera houses to pay the bills for the right. season. <laughs> to pay then, the bills, we have to do a musical. <laughs> it's true, though. <laughs> you know, they started that back in, I want to say, in the 80s um, by bringing in Candide or Sweeney Todd. Uh, for instance, and then bringing in some of the um, golden age, like My Fair Lady um, and Carousel and uh, some of those. Yes, uh, I think South Pacific made its rounds at one point. Showboat was another one. Night music. Night music, right. A little night music. And, and some of those shows kind of lend themselves to a classical sound. Oh, yes, absolutely, because they're, uh, well, first of all, you're talking about Golden Age. Now, Golden Age revivals um, today are a little bit more mixy. So you've got some, you know, when you think of Laura Osnes doing Cinderella versus uh, Julie Andrews' Cinderella, you have two different sounds there um, with Laura Osnes getting a little bit heavier in a mix um, than Julie Andrews did, per se. Right, right. And then a lot of the, um, you know, the keys are lowered because of that, just because the women are more in a mix. Do, do you find that now uh, singing has become so kind of um, everyone's mixing it to a place where, does it sound like everyone is kind of singing the same way and almost like has the exact same sort of sound, uh, you know, or... or does is there more variety in that um, voice now? Well, that's interesting because I think that there's certainly the sound that you think of when you hear somebody singing Broadway, and um, you know, and what you're listening for is that unique sound coming into you know into an audition that's going to set somebody apart that's not going to sound like oh that's Sutton Foster uh, mimic or sound like you know mm -hmm. Julianne right like ever since Wicked is everyone just trying to be Adina <laughs> I think that everybody's trying to sing those notes in a healthy uh, functional manner um, so they you know they typically any of these new shows or even some of the old shows you have the high school singers wanting to sing these incredible um, songs that are in the formation of like an aria you know they're the hard songs they're not the little golden age um, or standards you know and they bring in uh, uh, bring in the wizard and I are um, what's some of the other ones that they do from Wicked. Um, I guess it's the Wizard and I that the one that they tend to bring in more than not. And they have to sing that F and that E, uh, E5 and F5, and um, you know are just blowing it out because they're trying to belt it, right? So they all want to sound like Adina. They want to you know, put it up in their nose, and then they, they do bad things in their throat, you know, there's pathology because they've got nodules now, because they're pushing too much to try to sound like somebody else. I want you to talk about your training. Where did you go to school that, and, and I'm, I'm assuming you maybe have had many mentors along the way. I have, I've had a lot of mentors. Um, and where did I go to school? You're talking about college, I assume. Yeah. And um, I thought you boys knew this. 
I graduated. Our audience does not. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I uh, attended Shenandoah Conservatory of Music in year blah, 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 and um, graduated, uh, you know, four years later, of course. And uh, but before that, I was in music education um, and worked behind the scenes for a couple of musicals my first, you know, my freshman and sophomore year and got to know Mr. Herman, a lot of the musical theater. I was a musical theater wannabe, okay, major. And I was trying to figure out how I could double major in music education and musical theater because um, it was my main love. Um, but it wasn't going to happen because music ed degrees are really jam-packed. Right. So I did whatever I could. I worked on the props committee. I helped with quick changes in carnival. And I auditioned for the musical. And I got in uh, Brigadoon. And I think a lot of the... Um, a lot of my musical theater friends had me in their directing projects and in their one-person shows. Um, so I had a great time that way, and I was nominated to be in, you know, FAMU Alpha. Um, by my junior year, not FAMU Alpha, I'm sorry, Alpha Psi Omega. Yep. yep. It's, the, it's the hour, guys. <laughs> sorry about that. I was a FAMU Alpha sweetheart, but Alpha Psi Omega. So I was like the first one outside of the degree program to be in a, involved in Alpha Psi um, and remained close to that fraternity uh, since then. Um, my junior year is what was pivotal in uh, my performing career. Um, I, a Wolf Trap Opera came to Shenandoah uh, conservatory uh, through Jeanette Og, and they wanted the the current. Um, actually, I think it was right after graduation, so it was the graduates that uh, were in performance to audition for them, and they needed a few other people to uh, be a part of that, and that was uh, me and Carl Tanner, I believe. Carl Tanner. No, he was the next year, was he? He was either that year or the next year. But anyway, they didn't take any of the graduates. They took us. Wow. And so I was only thrown in for, uh, you know, to get experience and to be a filler uh, for the audition. I, I mean, I wasn't going to go into opera. I wasn't going to do that. But I was, it was kind of like that path was happening without me really trying for it. Mm -hmm. It just, you know, that's where destiny was uh, kind of leading me down that path. And um, anyway, so they took me and from that, um, that was in between my junior and senior year, I was exempt from the Houston Grand Opera studio program, which is a young artist program. I was exempt from their preliminary auditions and went straight to some of their final auditions. And I just, I went, I was like, what is this? What's Houston Grand Opera? I didn't even know what Houston Grand Opera was about. You know, I thought, what is it? Like, and Jeanette Ogg said, the Met. And I was like, really, the Met? I mean, I was really naive where it came to the opera world. Musical theater world, not so naive. 
Um, so she says, look, this is a big deal. And so she flew down with me um, to introduce me to the voice teacher who happened to be her voice teacher. So it was kind of all very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, serendipitous. Yes, yeah, serendipitous. That's exactly what it is. And so she introduced me to her and I was, oh my gosh, I was 20, 20 years old at the time. Very young for that kind of program. And the teacher said, you know, this will ruin her, but she needs to come down and study with me mm. at this age. Because I was young, 21, you're still, your vocal folds are still developing. So some, a program that was that, you know, big uh, would have been harsh on my um, development at that time. So after graduating, oh, when I sang with, uh, sang with the National Symphony Orchestra that fall, just by chance, because one of the teachers decided to drop out, and Robert Schaefer, if you remember him, yep. um, put me in at, for the soprano soloist, which happened to be on NPR, and get a New York Times review, um, so that, you know, all these things, it was just like luck, you know, it just happened. Well, there. We were talking about your voice teacher and her voice teacher lining up for this serendipitous moment. Correct. So I went down uh, to Houston and uh, did the audition and she said that it would be, uh, you know, not really good for me at this time in my life because I was still developing vocally, um, meaning, you know, the vocal folds hadn't fully developed. And so she thought it would be, you know, it would probably harm me more than anything else, but wanted me to come down and study with her. And Jeanette Ogg said, oh my goodness, this you know, woman, she sang at the Met all over the world, and she wants you to come down and sing, you know, study with her, um, you know, you need to take it. And so I went to Houston and decided to go ahead and um, go into the master program at University of Houston in vocal performance and just kind of work on my masters at the same time. And lo and behold, I auditioned again for the program and they weren't looking for any sopranos uh, at the time, um, but they went out and got more uh, sponsorship, I think from Texaco. And lo and behold, I was put in the studio, in the Houston Opera Studio. And um, from there, I basically did, um, Actually, the coach that played for me uh, that night, the general manager of Houston Grand Opera, asked uh, at the finals, uh, we had to sing um, arias and songs. And the general manager said, you know, what, what has she done with her voice there? And the coach said, she's singing it in the style in which it should be sung. <laughs> So that was, yeah, it was a cabaret piece and it was a Kurt Vile piece. So I sang it with more speech-like uh, vowels and with a jazzy feel, which, uh, you know, a lot of opera singers, when they try to sing um, commercial styles, don't tend to be true, totally true to the style and certainly sing uh, with more rounded 
vowels and more resonance in a different way. So it was unusual for him to, I guess, hear that in, you know, when I flipped out of aria mode to art song, jazz, you know, composer. Are you originally from Virginia? I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. I was adopted uh, at birth. And so, yeah, that was a long time ago, though. <laughs> and, 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 and how did you find the arts or did the arts find you? Well, this is uh, an interesting uh, question because my, my father, my adopted father, uh, was musical uh, but not as in like singing solos. He could sing. His mother was a concert pianist. And so he had music uh, playing in the house all the time. And my mother, my adopted mother, uh, Dot Means, had no musical talent. She could not sing on pitch if she tried. Um, but, you know, that was okay uh, because she loved music and she made sure that our house was filled with music. And um, so, yeah, we went to Africa. I would lived in Africa for seven years. And in Africa, we had no TV. So music was our entertainment. And I was five years old when we went to the Congo. And you wow. were there for seven years. For seven years, the formative years. And my, yeah. first, my first musical was at five years old, and I attended Oklahoma. And I decided I was going to put Oklahoma in our backyard. You know, I was going to put that on with my friends, but they couldn't remember all the words to the songs. They couldn't remember any of the lyrics. So I had to sing all the songs and tell them what to do. And they could be the chorus. <laughs> so, you know, and they didn't seem to mind, you know, because we were putting on a show. Uh, but that's when I was, um, you know, I, I, I kind of got the bug back has, then. Um, has Africa stayed kind of a part of your life? It has um, in a lot of ways. I've tried to, um, you know, I don't speak... I used to speak French fluently in conversation. Now I understand it more than I speak it because I don't have that opportunity. But I've continued to name our dogs uh, Lingala names, which was a tribal language specific to, um, to the Congo, to Kinshasa, Congo. And uh, I'm a grandma and my name is Mama Nakoko. And our dog is Nayembi Mingi, which is I sing excessively. Uh, so. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> well, she's a beagle, so they make lots of different uh, vocal noises. So <laughs> it works for her. Um, but and yeah, I know, I know we're jumping around a lot, but there's, That's so, okay. much, there's so much to talk about. Mm -hmm. There's just a plethora. Yeah. I mean, the Oklahoma thing is interesting to me because you were later invited to sing at the birthday party of Celeste Holm. Right. Okay. Yes, exactly. Uh, I mean, I adored Celeste um, from a distance for a long time, uh, especially her Ado Annie, and certainly listened to it so many times um, in, in Africa, but also, you know, just growing up. Um, and a friend of mine uh, ended up marrying her and, uh, when I called to find him one Christmas and he told me 
that he was married to Celeste Holm. And then, you know, we had to come and visit, of course, um, and meet Celeste. And then we became really good friends until the, until our very end. And she said of you, what a beautiful voice and expressive singing. That's the way songs need to be sung. Songs need to tell a story. And Edry told the story. Yep. <laughs> she did. <laughs> what what an amazing thing. Um, a, End of play. I mean, I'm a big fan of her work between, of course, Oklahoma. There's a million things besides, you know, there's Wings. There's her incredible performance in All About Eve, of course. Right, of course. But she is a, uh, just, she remains a treasure uh, oh, of my talent. Goodness. Absolutely. And I have to tell you guys, um, she's saying, uh, she's saying, I can't say no. Um, at one of the parties that we had, we had a New Year's Eve party and, you know, pretty much everybody gets up and sings something you know, around the piano. And she got up and sang, I can't say no in her, you know, she had a uh, paralyzed vocal fold. And so she, you know, had a, a very wispy sound there at the end. And she did everything that she did in the show, the little isms, you know, that she added and the little motions that she had. If you look at the, um, the Ed Sullivan yes, performance, yeah. everything looked just like that. And you have to think, boy, and that was in 2000, what, nine, uh, that she was doing that. And the Ed Sullivan was in what, 1950 something. Muscle memory. Yeah, exactly. I mean, after how many performances, of course, you know, right. So um, it was just, it was really interesting to, to watch her and to talk to her and hear the stories uh, of her filming with Frank Sinatra and that, you know, he was so much shorter. And Celeste and I are about the same height, which is 5'6". And so with um, Frank Sinatra being shorter, they had him up on a platform behind the couch in High Society when they were singing Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? is kind of cool <laughs> so that Celeste didn't appear to be taller than Frank. You, you and I also had the uh, pleasure of working together with another icon. Oh my gosh, this is going to take up the rest of the time. No, it's <laughs> we both, we both had the pleasure of being in Regina, the opera at the Kennedy center with Patty Lapone. Correct. Yeah. That was so much fun. Wasn't it? <laughs> and you understudied Patty. Yes, I did. That was a hoot, I'll tell you. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I got the score and uh, you know, recognized that most of the literature um, had for her had been um, transposed by a fourth or a fifth down from what the original score had been. And so I remember calling and saying, do you want me to belt this? Do you want me to you know, how do you want me to sing this for this production? And they said, just sing it how you can sing it. Because it, it was a difficult stretch for her. Um, in fact, she, she was having some problems with the, the top note, or at least, you know, she said she had a hard time with the, with the higher tessitura. There was a high G or an A at the end of her, her big aria. But for about 30 minutes, she is stuck in chest register from uh, G3 to like 
A4 maybe. And so if she's sitting in that place for 30 minutes and really pumping that voice and, and you know, sending that, I mean, not all of it was pianissimo, mind you. It was, she was chesting and belting a lot of that. Um, for her to turn around and sing that high G or myself to sing that high G, it was going to be difficult because here we are just kind of pushing our voice and chest register for so long and then flipping it up. It was hard. Um, so I remember practicing it um, two different ways, full chesting it and then, um, you know, kind of backing off a little bit and and creating a little bit more resonance and rounder space so that I could go up to the G um, with ease. So it was really, and I think you remember this, Stephen, you remember when she turned around, she said, I need help with that note. Yep. You remember that? Yep. And I sat there and, you know, afterwards she, um, I went up and introduced myself as her standby. And she, um, she says to me, she says, oh yeah, can you help me with that note? <laughs> I thought, well, you know, it's kind of conflict of interest here, but sure. And she laughed. Well, I mean, it really was, you know, but um, no, I, you know, I felt for her because the way it was, you know, transposed was going to make it challenging. So um, I did help her and it was amazing to hear her sing um, the top note operatically. That woman has a beautiful soprano you know, full round sound up there. Um, and when she sang it, I looked at her and I said, oh my gosh, Patty, just do that. And she says, oh, but everybody will laugh at me. All my friends will laugh at me. And um, I said, no, they won't. You'll hit the note. <laughs> but I, I guess there is a little bit of a, 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 a high profile like that that really feels like there's an expectation to what people think she's. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, that's got to be an interesting discussion. Uh, uh, unlike you, who is very transformative and uh, can mold into many different things, um, a lot of personalities get attached to a certain vocal quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. But, you know, it's also her sound, you know, right. it's it's what we love about her voice. Yeah. And, you know, and what she does with it. And after, um, uh, you know, I mean, after that production wasn't, no, had she done Gypsy yet? She hadn't done Gypsy. No, no she hadn't done Gypsy. She did Gypsy right after that. There was an article in the Post while we were doing Regina about her, of course, that she called herself the rare, rare dodo bird of Broadway. She not as of that point that I mean, then she went back to Broadway like again and again and again and again and hasn't stopped. But she was in a weird little slump when she was going to do. Uh, I mean, she was doing the Ravinia Festival, of course, which is no small thing. Um, but she had not been to Broadway in a while, I believe. So. I don't know. I guess she got her mojo back. Maybe you helped her hit hit that note and uh, then she was all good to go. Oh, I think I didn't do too much with that. I mean, I just I, I said to take a breath before what she was doing was um, just going for it right there at the end without taking a huge breath before that note. And so I just told her to take 
need it. We need it for that note. Yeah. But, wasn't know, the last word, what? wasn't the last word like all, like of, all, something like that? Yes. Yes. And somebody had told her to just go of all to make it happen. And I said, you know, you don't really need to do that to make it happen. In fact, you need that breath to be able to sing that. And so she ended up doing the breath, if you remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was she was fabulous. And, um, you know, of course, I was really nervous being in the room with her um, and knowing her temperament uh, or the stories of. But, you know, she she didn't have a temper. The only time um, she complained about anything was when they were going to do uh, the performance without any kind of run through uh, with the orchestra. Yeah. For her. I, I do recall one time. <laughs> I do recall one time where like we, we were in a rehearsal in another room and were dismissed for lunch. But then when we went to get our things in the main rehearsal room, we were told we couldn't go in nap on the the um the the furniture whatever the settee or whatever oh and then we're like we need our wallets to buy food for lunch Mm -hmm. they're like we'll go in but act like the baby's sleeping (laughs) (laughs) and we did yeah oh my goodness we did not i don't think we wake no no let's talk about your experience with follies Oh, my goodness. Okay, well. Such a beautiful production. It was, you know, I auditioned for Follies um, mainly because I adore Stephen Sondheim and his music. And I thought, well, you know, Follies, there, there's some roles in there that I could probably, you know, age appropriate for me. Um, so I went in um, and auditioned. Uh, and uh, who was it? it was Jim that um, Jim Moore that said he wanted to hear um, So in Love. I walked in, I said, You've heard me do an aria, and I and So in Love, you know, legit. How about a belt piece? And he says, No, I want to hear your legit So in Love. I thought he's heard this before why does he want to hear it again um but i said okay and i really really wanted to sing thing you know uh, belty for him uh for broadway baby is what i was thinking you know and as i was talking to the pianist and giving the cuts and such he says oh and then we'll listen to a little bit of your belt stuff and I thought, yes, thank you, thank you. And so I sang So In Love, and then he said, what do you have? And I said, well, I know, you know, it's not really age appropriate, but I have Forget About The Boy. He said, yeah, go ahead and do that. And everybody else had their heads down, and they were writing stuff and kind of ignoring me a little bit. And I thought, well, I guess this isn't going very well. And then I went, no canary in a cage for me. And the yeah, Laura <laughs> took her paper down, put her paper down, and uh, her head came up. She looked at me, stopped writing. Jim looked at me, 
And then Laura got up as I was singing, went over to the pianist. I finished my cut and she said, what else do you have? And she goes through the whole thing. And then they threw Broadway Baby at me. And uh, I don't think I read for them that day. Um, and I got the call to come in, I think it was two days later or a day later to read for Hattie um, and uh, the opera singer um, and sing uh, Broadway Baby again. And then they called me to the finals up in New York. Uh, and there you have it. Um, <laughs> it was a lot of fun and I was thrilled to be a part of the cast. Uh, it was the first time, honestly, that I swung five roles in my life. So it was a good experience that way. And I learned a lot um, about what I could do and, um, you know, and focusing uh, on different tracks. And it was, it was a load of fun. It really was. And I had a great time with the cast and still in contact with a lot of the cast members. And it was fun to have Steven there, uh, you know, watching him and hearing all the stories about how he takes so many notes about diction, you know, everybody's diction and ending and beginning consonants and, uh, you know, pages and pages for one song. It's the truth. I just have to say, any of you, you've worked with them, right? Haven't you worked with them? Oh, not I guess, directly. I guess yeah. we really haven't, no. Oh, okay. I thought with the Soundtime Festival, you might have. No, no. we were just in the audience for that. I um, had drinks with him and Bernadette at the Four Seasons. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but I don't know if they knew I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was only five of us there, but I think I was Mr. Cellophane. <laughs> Bernadette was something else too. Um, the first day, uh, you know, the only person I had met before was Flo, uh, Flo Lady, and she, uh, you know, I walked in the room and we were doing, um, you know, kind of meet and greet and sit down and start singing through the piece. So I sat next to Flo, um, and there was this purple handbag next to me uh and i didn't know who that was and bernadette sits right down and she turns to me and she says hello my name's bernadette peters and i thought yes i know who you are <laughs> she says what's your name i says edry she goes hmm, is that irish or scottish and she never said it incorrectly the entire time we were together and she's still uh good with that and has been wonderful ever since i mean um when she's in town uh and i'm you know going to her show i might text patty and say you know hey love to come backstage and see both of you and i you know they give me a pass for backstage and she remembers my husband peter uh, you know i mean it's just she remembers everybody and she's a wonderful, wonderful human being. Um, she loves voice teachers. Uh, she wanted to know what that area was right above the 
vocal folds. And I said, oh, you mean the laryngopharynx? And then she'd ask me again, now what's that area called again? <laughs> Who knows why she wanted to know this? Uh, but she, she was uh, really into the voice. Yeah. I mean, truly into the voice. Well, I know you've worked with a million uh, names that we could talk about, but my gosh, Follies is just sort of like one of those shows where, especially for, uh, you know, this production that was like, you know, the biggest deal at the time of a remount, uh, just all the names in that entire cast from the bottom up was just, you know, names. <laughs> no kidding. And um, and wonderful, wonderful. You know, Linda Lavin, uh, Elaine Page, Flo Lacey, um, I mean, Jan Maxwell, oh, God rest her soul. Um, just, just fabulous performers. And to watch them grow in the role, you know, Danny Burstein, Ron Raines, um, you know, just, oh, man, it was just, it was awesome. It truly was awesome because people... Uh, that I've admired in the past. I mean, Bernadette Peters has been one of my favorite uh, singer actors, you know, all my life. And to watch her create sound, um, you know, from the ground up was pretty cool, you know, uh, vocally and, uh, you know, as a, as, as a character. It was just, it was amazing. And she's so good with Sondheim, you know, she understands what he wants. And so she does it, you know, the alliterations in the, the lyrics, um, it was just chittering, chattering. I mean, just totally making it more of an animatopoeic word, you know? Right. And it was fabulous without being told. So, I mean, she just knows to do it. Um, and that's what makes a, a really good, performer is picking up on things, you know, that you, you don't have to be told. And that's the difference between an A singer and a B singer, you know? I tell my students all the time, you know, this person's going to get it because this is what they're doing expressively with the piece. Right. You know, because you're, you've got to tell the story. You got to tell the story and you may not have the best voice, but it's in tune and it's doing really well. And, but you're telling the story where this person is not. Right. So, um, I mean, obviously they have to have some talent <laughs> to, to be there. But anyway, um, well, let's go back to SU for one second. Sure. Because me and you have a very unique, oh, special yeah. connection that I want to talk about that actually gave me the first and only opportunity to be in an opera. Aww. Because who wants Elaine Stritch in an opera? Me. <laughs> who wants to see At Liberty, the opera? Me. Um, <laughs> but, but we worked on the medium. Yes, we did. You were the director. I played the uh, mute Toby. Yes, you did. And it was, it was, if I can just talk for a second, I mean, doing that part with you in that show was such a wonderful breakout moment for my own personal self to, I guess, probably the first time in my 
little itty bitty history to do something not only in an opera but in an opera without words mm-hmm. to convey something and i remember us just really loving that small it's a fairly short show right yeah i think it was about an hour and a half maybe an hour and I remember us getting our scores signed by the composer, Minotti. Yes, yes. And I still have mine upstairs. I still look at it and just revel that that even happened. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you remember all that. Um, Roman was the, uh, the director of uh, an opera that was being uh, put on at the time, or assistant director, actually. Minotti was directing it, and I can't remember the name of the opera that they were doing. But Minotti, uh, later in his life, was doing a lot of directing of opera, uh, not necessarily his you know, composed operas, but he was going from opera house to opera house directing. And his assistant, Roman um, Terlecki, uh, had been around, I guess, Minotti for a long time. So I was able to get the uh, the scores signed by Giancarlo Minotti because of Roman getting me in to have that done. So that was cool. And um, Minotti was one of my favorite all-time uh, 20th century composers. Um, Monica's Waltz was my aria. Uh, that was my go-to aria in any audition I did for an opera because it had so much emotion and acting ability. And I came from a place of acting. Right. So and emotion, you know, singing with emotion, uh, which was very different from a lot of, uh, when I say this as an actor, very different uh, than most opera singers. You know, they don't typically get the acting review. They'll get the singing and the voice review. And in my case, I would get like, uh, you know, beautiful lyric, but they would go in on my acting abilities because that was like, something that was a little bit foreign at the time uh, in the opera world. It Not so much foreign, but not, you know, across the board. A lot of uh, the opera singers basically park and bark. Yeah. So Now, Johanna was the lead? Johanna was the lead, and I knew with, with the medium that I needed a good Toby, and I needed an actor Toby. Now, every one of those opera singers, you know, opera or performance majors wanted to be a part of, of the opera, but I really needed somebody to, to have that emotion uh, without, you know, and be mute. And I knew you could do it. And I oh. thought you were the perfect one. And, um, and you were. I mean, we remember how we worked some of those scenes. Yeah. And really got into, you know, what was going on with Toby inside. Uh, and you brought that out. It was fabulous. And then, of course, the movement and, you know, a little bit of the dancing that you added to it, which was fabulous. Um, Is that, I mean, when I was in rehearsal and I threw myself on the ground and I dislocated my arm. Oh, my gosh. Did that happen one night? Ah, uh, yeah. And then I think I, I just forgot. pulled my arm back up into place. Oh, my gosh. Yes. 
Yeah, because we got, I got so carried away. I love it. Um, and who is what's the character? Who, who did we have on show that, that that sang Monica's Waltz? Oh, what was her name? I remember it wasn't Tay Gap. Tay Gap was in it, but um, yep. Oh, what was her name? Yeah, I'll have to look. But I just last week found another Toby in my life that oh my. Just, because I always go to people. I don't know why I always kind of go, Monica, Monica, dance the waltz. And <laughs> so I did that one for Into the Woods mm -hmm. at oh, Creative wow. Cauldron. And Susan Derry says, I was in that show. And I said, Who were you? She said, I was Toby. And I said, What? I was Toby. Yes. And she said, I was so mad because here I was auditioning for the opera and they were like, Susan, can you be Toby? Oh my goodness. It's so <laughs> funny you bring up Into the Woods because there's that one part when I was teaching, I had um, I had the witch in my studio when they did it at Shenandoah. And we were doing the, um, don't you know what's out there in the woods, that whole scene. Yep. And uh, every time I think, you know, of of Toby, at that moment, you know, right. it, where Toby and also Monica and um, Johanna's, uh, what is it, Baba, that, you know, when she's looking, Toby, come here, Toby, you know, and just the whole look on her face and drawing him in. Right to you know what's going on and i'm not going to hurt you and every time i hear the witch saying don't you know what's out there in the wood i think about that toby moment yeah it's very very i mean it's the same thing it's really uh, i mean just uh, tonally uh, the same you yeah know? but always i picture that moment like come out here don't you see it uh but yeah what a great piece too well, but, yeah I I had talked to Susan tonight on the phone and she said, please tell Edrie I said hi and please ask oh. her to bring up Lucy. Lucy? Oh my God. Arias. Well, there you go with another Magda out there wild. Yes. So that was another thing with Follies and my um, callback. Uh, she was, Susan was the reader. So, um, I had to read opposite her in the callback. And um, then she called me about Urban Arias. And I did the role, uh, or the, the one act Lucy, which was uh, about a woman with dementia. And um, that, it was a hard, it was a hard, uh, hard one act but lots of fun to play uh you know anything like that is is fun to play when you're ha having to go out of your mind you know and be something totally um opposite uh of who you are and and to be you know readable as that person with dementia but it also puts you in that place where you have that empathy for for possibly family members that have gone through it, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I have, uh, where they don't know the person or they suspect the person's there, but they're not really there. And even with, uh, with my own father, 
you know, when he would be off in a different world, um, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard. And I wish I'd had some of that to draw on, um, you know, real personal uh, things to draw on, uh, but I didn't. So I had to, you know, think about visiting my aunts 20 years ago, you know, who were a little bit off. Um, but, you know, you do what you do as far as you can with researching characters and, um, you know, using the Meisner and any of the other uh, acting uh, techniques that we have, right? Are you, are you currently still teaching at Shenandoah? Yes, I am. I'm teaching virtually, uh, but probably, in, well, I will be in person next fall. Uh, but, yeah, I had... Uh, you know, a surgery. My husband had cancer, so um, it put me, put us both in a vulnerable plate, uh, place. I had surgery two years ago, heart surgery. It was on uh, Facebook, but I'm healthy now and everything's good. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. So, but my whole return to Shenandoah, you didn't ask about that, but my whole return to Shenandoah was developed their opera program while I was performing at the Kennedy Center with the Washington Opera. So it was a, a good time for me to be able to uh, help them there. And then it just kind of happened that I'm still there um, due to a car accident back in 1998. Yeah, I was going to ask about when, what, what was, when did you come back to SU? I, we just, there's so much to talk about in your <laughs> life and career that it's like. I know, where's the book? I know. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so when uh, was that that you came back to SU to, to well, start? I left Houston um, in ninety in nineteen ninety, I think it was. But I had all these contracts uh, in different states, etc. And my hub was here in you know Fairfax County and um, Washington D.C. area, and. Uh, at one point, I had a couple operas I was doing at the Kennedy Center. Then I had uh, Carousel in Michigan that I was doing. And so I had this big break, uh, or not break, but a, a time where I was in, um, in this area that Jeanette Ogg said, look, we need you to help develop our opera program. Why don't you come out and do this? And I said, well, you know, I really can't do this full time. I, because I'm still performing and I have contracts. So I had my class on Monday, which I knew was always dark anywhere and um, developed the opera program and had a, car accident which kind of kept me there um because of a spinal injury and um so that's the that's how that all went i i was there for like a year or two and then ended up wanting to get back into uh a more steady you know living from the suitcase so to speak um but i had a car accident and how did how did the rehabilitation from the spinal injury affect your singing? Um, I had to have a cervical disc surgery uh, fusion because the discs were straight up against the spine, ready to sever the spine, and um, so they basically the rehabilitation was 
due to that surgery um, and having a dislocated jaw from, it was an airbag deployment that happened. Um, so the rehabilitation was getting my voice back into shape and I had a glitch for the first time in my life. I didn't have a smooth you know, transition and registration um, in my voice. And I was one of those freaks that didn't have a problem. I didn't have a break in my voice. But what that did for me, and I always, I thank God for all these experiences, honestly, um, because it helped me to be a better teacher and understanding those that had breaks, because I was just a freak of nature. I didn't have in my voice. Um, so teachers didn't really have to blend, you know, work on blending it. Um, so it helped me to understand those students and to be a better teacher that way, um, as well as retracting tongue, because I had to wear a device that retracted my tongue. So I was like talking like this when I took it out. Uh, took, it was like a, like a retainer. Mm -hmm. but a very thick retainer. And so my tongue, your tongue basically uh, forms to the size of the mouth. It's a big muscle. And so if you have something in there, it will, your tongue will appear a little bit smaller, right? It'll retract back. So when I took it out, the tongue just wanted to stay there. So then I, all of a sudden I understood lispers. I've understood people who had major tongue issues because I didn't have that before. Uh, so, you know, in, in a lot of ways, it was, you know, it was a good thing uh, because I learned a lot about me, about uh, teaching different issues in, uh, that people are having and concerns and how to fix it. Um, so, you know, in that way, I looked at it as not uh, a bad thing. I mean, some of it, some of the stuff from the accident certainly was bad. I gained weight, which took me out of my, uh, my look of who I played. You know, I was up for My Fair Lady um, for Eliza Doolittle on Broadway uh, a couple of years before that. And the only reason why I didn't get it was I looked way too much like Julie Andrews instead of oh, she's too heavy. Well, now it was about she's too heavy. <laughs> right. So that was a hard part. And being with a spinal injury, um, repetitive motion, like doing any kind of aerobic exercise to, to bring down was very painful because it would make a flare up. It would, you know, spinal injury means that you're having nerve pain, a lot of nerve pain. Um, or at least the spinal injury that I have. Other people have, um, you know, where they've lost uh, all control of, of, you know, from the neck down. Um, so, you know, luckily for me, it's just pain that I feel. Um, so anyway, uh, it, was, it was interesting because Follies with the Terry White uh, tap dance who's that woman, um, that was like a seven minute tap dance. And I was nervous because I knew I could get through uh, a, a dance. Uh, I was nervous about the tap 
because I didn't know how much it would be, um, how much we would be tapping. And I wanted the endurance to be able to sing. So I got up on a treadmill every day uh, for months before and worked that and sang on the treadmill, worked that number and sang on the treadmill just so that I could get the endurance and the stamina for singing. Right. Because the other part from that car accident was my breath stamina. Um, Cause I lost a lot of breath stamina because I couldn't expand enough in my rib cage because of the, you know, the nerves um, contracting and causing muscle tension. So I really had to work hard for Follies to be able to sing and dance that. And, and, and you, you did though, right? I, mean, I did. I did. But you know, those folks don't get sick. <laughs> those are true. You know, we're going to sing and uh, act uh, until we fall down. <laughs> Some tough old broads. Exactly. They would not call out. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, I was ready for it. Uh, of course, her middle tap break, uh, which I think was like 16 bars, um, that one was really difficult for me to get down because I needed to have it written down. I needed to see what it was, you know, flap, step pack, you know, whatever it was, ball change. I needed to see it so that I could break it down in my head because I'm a visual person, but looking at it and just seeing, okay, they did a flat ball change, hop, skip, whatever, it wouldn't get into my brain. I had to write it down. Uh, so when I wrote it down, it all made sense, but they did do an easier one for me um, in the middle and um, I, I did it for the, uh, I did it better in low heels rather than the, the three inch heels they wanted us in. <laughs> those are hard, you know? Yeah. I don't know how those girls do it. I was like, no, you give me those men's shoes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you give me those men's shoes. And they did. And I still have my um, Laduca taps, by the way. Oh, God. Yeah, Laduca shoes. You never want to get rid of those. Oh, you know, and they had, um, I can't remember the taps that came with the Laduca, but uh, Warren Carlyle uh, sent them back and said, no, I want Capizio. Well, he, wow. Interesting. Like, well, he likes the sound of them. Yeah. So what's what's uh, up on, on the horizon for your summer and the fall and what's ahead? Well, um, the... CCM Vocal Pedagogy Institute is one of my babies that came out of after my accident, which was developing, you know, a course for singing styles and teaching styles and also teaching commercial music. So I have um, that class uh, at the Institute this summer. And um, I have some presentations at various conferences. I'm singing, oh, <laughs> speaking of Follies, oh my goodness. Um, I'm singing at uh, the Voice Foundation Gala, which will be a week from Friday. And I've changed the words to I'm still here uh, from Follies. Oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah, uh, I'm still here from Follies. 
and uh, changed it to be COVID lyrics. Oh, that's funny. Oh, it is funny. It is really funny because, you know, it starts out good times and bum times. I've seen them all, but my dear, I'm still here. So I have good times and lockdowns taught via Zoom, but my dear, we're back here. <laughs> isolate more, isolate less, looks all the same. <laughs> we're here. You know, stuffed a Q-tip in my nose, could have tried Clorox, I suppose. <laughs> Anyway, like a cleaning, like a cleaning awesome. through the body. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, so we have a ton of fun lyrics here that my husband and also Dr. Um, Sergeant and I put together. You know, no paper towels, stood in spread lines full of hope, <laughs> got toilet paper. Sorry, no. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I've gotten through White House briefings with Anthony Fauci. <laughs> that's fun and a half. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, there's just, it, it worked really, really well, the words. <laughs> so I'm, I'm looking forward to singing that next week. Oh, that's great. And then, uh, what, the Nats conference, I'm presenting... Uh, vocal stylisms and um, cool down exercises. So two presentations there. Oh, the Voice Foundation is research on teachers teaching um, commercial professional singers who are teaching commercial styles, and that's to include like all the vocal stylisms, you know, um, fry growls squall scream those kinds of things all the things that kids are doing these days mm -hmm. and what styles they're teaching you know like hip-hop rap uh, music theater etc so so what, what kind of things got you through the pandemic um was it like uh lots of we of course asked people what's your favorite net uh, series that you watched and what did you read um okay, what did you so do all right. So what did we do? We watched a lot of, um, you know, the Hall Hallmark movies, of course, uh, you know, the Christmas ones that just kind of went on and on and on. Right. I think we've got all of those down. Um, but I watched Bridgerton. Yep. Of course, there you know, was an alum uh, that did the costuming. Did you guys know that? No. Yes. So two Wait, of us know, one of us yes. Wait, okay. I think that means I lost in the Senate. <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I said yes, because I clearly am more educated. Clearly. They said no, but I think if we were in the Senate, I just lost. Who who was wow. the alum? Oh, my gosh. You're, I knew you were going to say that right now. Yeah. Um, I just saw one post on, of course, the face pad. That face, <laughs> face pad. Joey, um, I saw one Joey's post like from Doctor Albert or somebody that was like blah blah blah, and I was like, oh, okay. Well, clearly, I picked the wrong path. It's, the name of uh, the first name is Joey, and I'm trying to get the last name. Um, Joey San. Oh, Joey San Santanet Santangelo. Gillo. I know, I can never pronounce his last name. Santangelo. Does that sound right? Yeah, that looks right. Yeah, Joey. He was in my styles class. And um, 
you know, he was just a really cool guy. And when we heard that he was, I mean, it was just amazing when we heard that he was doing the um, costuming and, or working on costuming and he worked on all of Daphne's clothes, I believe. Wow. That, so it was cool. And he was on the, you know, the next season and, but of course we watched the second season, of course. I have not, so I need to now. And what was the other one that we watched? Um, Outlander. Oh my God, did you finish it? We watched the seasons. Yes, we did. Oh my God. And Yellowstone. We have not seen Yellowstone. Oh, you've got to watch Yellowstone. I hear it's terrific. We've been too busy in Ozark. Oh, <laughs> that's the next one that my husband and I want to watch. Oh, it's so good. Is it? Yeah, we're hearing so many wonderful things about it. So we want to watch that. Um, and But, you know, Outlander was, uh, we were waiting so long for that. Because, um, of course, COVID, you know, they were on on their little sabbatical as well. So, but we got caught in Yellowstone, which uh, caught up in Yellowstone, which we had not started. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> we're trying to get all the different shows and, and watch them, but now things are opening up. So. So, so, and, and, and lastly, any books that you've read recently that you could recommend? Oh, Okay, so um, here comes the disclosure. I have uveitis from the vaccine. Oh. So that means that I have retina swelling and I can't read right now. Oh. Because, yeah, so I've been having this ever since last, um, when was that, last April when I got the shot. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, they said they can't prove it's from that, but I'm responding to prednisone, which means it's nothing else but that. And there are other people that have it. So, um, and have complained about it, you know, have come to the ophthalmologist complaining with the same symptoms. And yeah, so I'm on prednisone for that. Oh, wow. Well, prednisone is, is the miracle drug, right? Yes, it is in a lot of ways. Uh, it is. But it also has a lot of horrible side effects. But um, hopefully it's going to clear it all up. I mean, I can see a little bit better. But reading, uh, I would have to, well, I could do books on tape, couldn't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, haven't thought about that until now. Stupid me. Um <laughs> But if I were reading something, I'd probably read Outlander because my friend who is reading the books of Outlander said that there's so much more in the books. Yeah, of course. And so detailed. And, um, you know, so I'd, I'd probably read that because Outlander, uh, did you say that you're watching that one? You did? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I love Did you watch this season? You know what? I misspoke. I am in the middle of the third season of Outlander. Oh, my goodness. Um, I just saw the reunion uh, in Scotland between the two of them that was like a little bit naughty. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, so I've got I've got a ways to go. I've got like 30 more episodes. Oh, my gosh. 
Well, there's a lot, there's a lot going on, but what I really liked about it, my husband too, is the history that's connected with it. Yeah. You know, um, with the wars and what's going on in the country at the time and, uh, you know, with the royalty and the, uh, the people. And so, you know, it makes it interesting for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, good to catch up with you. My goodness, uh, it's been way too long. We need to work together soon. Maybe yeah. I'll, maybe me and Stephen will just write you a show called Serendipity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Especially when you think about, um, you guys know about my finding my birth father, right? No. Okay. Well, all the what we talked about. It was in my <laughs> destiny, apparently. My birth fa father is the king of bluegrass. What? Yes. Through DNA, I found my birth parents. They're both passed away, uh, but I have connected with my birth families on both sides. And uh, my half-sister on my birth mom's side that said, I know who your birth dad is because mom dated him and he was a uh, professional singer and you're a professional singer. So it's got to be your birth father. Oh my God, that's amazing. And so I did DNA testing with one of his children and he's my brother. Um, and he uh, basically said, we don't need to do DNA. You look like us and you sing. And so therefore you are. And <laughs> so there you have it. Yep. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful story. But that's why my larynx is able to do everything that it does. Because when you listen to any of his recordings or even watch him on stage, you go, what? and there's tons of stuff on, uh, his name's Jimmy Martin. He's on, uh, you know, in YouTube, lots of videos on YouTube. And um, yeah, I now see where I got it from. Well, that is a beautiful way to conclude our wonderful journey of, our friend and colleague and um, oh. director, performer, teacher, castmate. Oh, man, I miss you guys so much. If I were there, I'd give you big hugs and kisses. Yes, and hugs right back. We will, we will talk to you soon, but not too soon. And um, keep away from Johnny Depp. All right, we love you, Edry. We, I love you back. You guys are fabulous. And thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this. This has been really fun tonight. Thanks so much for talking to us, Edry. We really enjoyed the catch-up. Um, we uh, had a lot of like weird tech issues on our end, and I hope that the uh, jumps were not too noticeable in the edit. Um, but we, nonetheless, uh, had a great time in our catch-up with you. Um, and thanks so much. You've, you've been such an inspiration to so many students through all the years of your tutelage at SU. And I know that we're not the only ones who uh, are glad to hear your voice again. So keep doing what you're doing. You're making an amazing difference out there for many people. 
Um, if you want to learn more about us, please visit www.connorsmithmusicals.com. That's Connor with an ER. You can find us on social media, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram under Connor and Smith, again with an ER. Please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It really helps us out a lot. Share it where you share things, post it where you post things. Um, add to the Discord discussion board. The link is in the description. And add to the late 90s song playlist on Spotify, also in the description. We have another uh, great episode coming for you tomorrow. And until then, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just be here whenever you push play, right? That's right. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.